So. So yeah, I'm I'm Nathan Koskovich, and I'm here with Thomas Wheatley. Say hi, Thomas. Hello, how you doing? Good. So, um, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Atlanta. I Sit- know this answer. I'm just asking. No, that's fine. Yeah. That's that, that, that's 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 totally fine. Um, from Atlanta, uh, born in Atlanta. Uh, when I was like uh, six or seven, um, my dad got a job in Marietta, so we moved to Cobb County. Um, and I spent my, my formative years in the suburban wilderness. So wait, so where did you live in Atlanta when you were six and seven? It was, uh, well, from, until, until I was six, we lived in Druid Hills on, okay. Sp- on Springdale Road. So in townish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very, very rich memories of, of Atlanta back in the 1980s. Like I would have my... I would have my birthday parties at the Olmsted Linear Park, which was totally different back then. It was much more like active. I remember it like we would go to, you know, we'd go to Little Five Points. Yeah, I mean, I guess that area around the Olmsted Park was always the rich area, but the rich area in Atlanta in the '80s was not very rich at all. It was yeah, much more it, well, class. Yeah, and and Druid Hills. My dad was um, uh, my my dad is a urologist, and and he was um, practicing at Emory and also teaching. Yeah. So it was close. I mean, like, and and when we moved to Marietta, we lived close to Kennestone Hospital, um, which is where my dad practiced. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like you always you, you always have doctors who want to live very very close to hospitals. So when they roll out of bed, you know, and their pager goes off. Which I think my dad rocked a pager till very late in the game. Oh, he probably had the call service before that, where he had to periodically call in to see if there were any messages. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so I mean, like, um, but growing up in Atlanta was it was great. Um, you know, we were so close to parks. We would we walked everywhere. We would always walk walk to Emory Village. If there was a snowstorm, my mom would get out the the Red Rider wagon, put a one uh, put a laundry basket in it my brother and i in it and then another laundry basket on top, on top of you guys to make a little plastic cage so we wouldn't go running out of it and she would bring us down to emory village um cvs used to be a used to be a kroger and um that's right yeah it wasn't 80s atlanta moved late into the 90s when i moved into town when i started at school so most of and then Everything changed, and it used to be fun to tell the story of everything changing, and now it's been like 20 years since it made that big switch. Yeah. And now everybody's just like, you're just old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> CVS has been there forever. And um, or d- d- maybe it I, – I can't remember. I, maybe it I, – I, it might have changed to a different drugstore, but, yeah, we would go to we would go to Decatur. Like, we would get our, our – you know, the butcher that we went to was in Decatur, and yeah. – um, downtown Decatur back then was nothing like it is now absolutely nothing Mm. um they started right about that time they actually were one of the kind of first adopters of like total streets and good urbanist planning and they mm -hmm. were just getting started there but I imagine it was like like a lot of downtowns at the time like not much happening there wasn't much happening I mean like it was always I I remember going and it it seemed like it was always overcast right. <laughs> and it seemed like there was a lot of convenience stores on the square although I don't remember if that's true it just seemed that way um, and I think that I think that our butcher is now either a dance studio or it might have been part of Cakes and Ale. I can't remember. We would always enter from that back parking lot that's right next to Victory. 
right and right. we would enter through the back door and we would like walk through sawdust and all this stuff that was on the that was on the floor and butcher was cool the butcher is it's it's um shields butcher that's now actually next door to the cvs at the old kroger so it's like <laughs> I, I i have all these really um i really liked it it was a it was i mean like I, I only spent like six or seven years there, but it was a gr- it was a great time. It sounds a lot like you had an experience like Heather Al Hadef had, who grew up in Atlanta for a while. I forget how old Heather was, but there was there's a lot of freedom. Like you can go tromping up to the store and back and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you move to the suburbs, and you're like, I and for her it was like I need somebody to drive me everywhere now. And yeah. So suddenly, uh, it felt a much more like a cage. Well, or y- less independent, and mature. It, it was it was the exact same story with me. I mean, and and the person that needed to drive me somewhere was was and all of my friends was was me. I was the first person in my got a license. The, yeah, so yeah. it was just always you know, Thomas is driving. Thomas is driving, um, and and I remember back in high school we we talked about that a lot. My friends and I we were like, we you know we didn't know anything about transportation planning or anything, but we we knew how crazy it was that we hadn't some of our neighborhoods didn't have sidewalks that we had to drive everywhere that yeah. that there wasn't uh, and we would hang out in the gas station in the parking lot of a gas station on some weekends just hanging out and that was your public space it was all, yeah that was yeah that was our public space and we would talk about how crazy is it that we can't get on a train to Atlanta yeah and um we were really disenchanted by suburban the by kind of the suburban environment and suburban lifestyle and we would all say to each other when i grow up i don't want to live in a subdivision yeah i I said the exact same thing and it was uh, it was it was a you know it was safe i got a great education um i had great friends um we found stuff to do but uh we all knew that we didn't want to be in that environment when we got older and some of my friends stayed there and some of them good number of them have left yeah there was the the promise of the suburbs i think was that it was the best of both worlds you didn't have the traffic and the angst of the city but you had the nature and you had the nature and the beauty of the country but in reality it's you don't have either one of those the traffic is horrible i was um in gwinnett county doing some work and i was driving between lawrenceville and snellville and i grew up there and it was it was like two o'clock in the afternoon so i was mm-hmm. driving from city hall to a project site and it was bumper to bumper the whole way. It was a, it's a, like a, at least a seven-lane road. Yeah. So, you know, kids are pretty quick at spotting, not, if not hypocrisy, at least irony. Like, this is what the promise is. The reality is we have all the traffic and none of the culture, and we have none of the country scenery either. Right, so. right, right. And, that's, and I think that's what's going to be, you know, one of the things that kind of kills some suburban areas if they don't. If, if they don't really kind of wise up and take control. Well, a lot of them were built on the cheap, too. I mean, I was, I've been out there looking at Gwinnett County. You can see houses built through the 70s are actually pretty well built. Mm-hmm. And in the boom period of the 80s, and everybody thinks you're, you're a business genius if you can make money in a boom time. But you can see, like, the cracks and the lap siding and stuff. People were just throwing stuff up. Right. And, and that physical structure is going to become a real drag. And then how it's built without a lack of connectivity means each piece of property is kind of on its own. It can't feed off the energy of others. Right, right, right. Which they're in, they're in, well, that's, that's going to become the new ghetto. It's going to be the 
suburbs of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Well, and it's what's happening. It's why, not to talk badly about Latinos, but they're coming to this country without a lot of money. They're moving someplace cheap to work, yeah. and that inexpensive living is in, is kind of South Gwinnett and East Cobb. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, no. It's. I mean. It's. Uh, and. It's it's funny that you mention that because around the Marietta Square, a lot of the housing, especially there's um, there's uh, a street uh, like Seminole and I think Chickasaw, that it's mostly all like ranch homes built like in the like fifties mm-hmm. and and fifties and sixties and and way back you know way back then it was where like all the workers at um, uh, Lockheed like lived so it was all these kind of you know plane builders and engineers and 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 everything and those homes have have really stood the test of time yeah those were white collar top blue collar workers yeah for people really making good money yeah Yeah. and and they've those those homes have done well but then you look at the some of the apartment complexes that went up during the 80s Mm -hmm. um even you know elsewhere in the city of marietta it's just rough Right. It's just rough. I mean, they're they're so outdated, and they're it's I don't I don't know if the owners are just crossing their fingers and just hoping someone's just going to buy it out, and just tear it down. Well, that's I mean, we find that a lot in downtown Atlanta where people own property for so long that their expenses aren't that much. They're just sitting on it as long as they have one one renter. Um, so anyway, moving on a little bit before we get too deep. The into story your, of my life. The story of your life. So you are you're a journalist, and I was saying earlier we're talking to you because cities are designed not just by designers, they're designed by everybody. Mm-hmm. And certainly Thomas shows up at most everything, and everybody's like, oh, Thomas is here. Okay, he's going to put it in the paper. <laughs> um, if I can get the time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely good to go and, and, and check everything yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So, so how did journalism come about, and that led you to create a blog? Um, g- growing growing up, I always um, were you a nosy kid. You were like scoop, no, scoop Wheatley. I I, was, I wasn't so much of a nosy kid. I was just a um, my my family. We were always doing something with news. Like we would we would watch the, the news together. You know, the evening news together. So we, being informed was really important to you. Yeah, yeah, you know, we had subscriptions to Life and Time and Newsweek, and I would read all of them, and I didn't know what was what was going on but i i liked reading them i like words right i like sentences and um i started reading rolling stone in like sixth grade so the bits you like the bits and pieces even at that young age not not the storytelling necessarily yeah i mean because i didn't understand really what they were talking about but i mean but i i did like just being presented information and i liked seeing i like seeing tricks of language i think it's it's um i like seeing people take chances with language and yeah um you know, smart chances, you know, and and not being kind of ego- egotistical in their writing, but but really showing some art. Um, I like imagining how their brain works during all that. So that really captivated me from a young age. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I think it's really the um, that's one thing I really like to look at pieces of art or buildings. Is the, the thought you can see the thought process behind that, and that's really fascinating. Which sounds a little bit like what you're talking about. I like to see somebody who's thinking in their writing yeah i mean and, and put something out there that's not necessarily what they know it's going to be yeah and it i mean and it does it doesn't have to be the most breathtaking writing ever i mean it could it could be on its face about something trivial but if 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 it's if it's clever i'm hooked i i, re- I really love seeing that yeah 
Um, so that so all my life I've I've been really fascinated by it. Loved writing. Um, when I got to college, I didn't really know what I was going to do though. Um, I so knew you just went into you went to Georgia, right? Yeah, I went to University of Georgia, and I was accepted into the Grady College. And at first, I was like, okay, cool. I got into the Grady College of Journalism, and you, but you have to pick a focus. All right. And. Uh, there was like newspapers, telecommunications, advertising, and magazine writing, uh, among others, PR as well. And I decided that I've always loved reading magazines. I like writing with kind of more of a creative edge right. um, and approach. And so magazines were were what worked for me. And um, never wrote for the school newspaper. Pitched a couple stories, but never... <laughs> Never heard back, um, and uh, so so I I reached out to the Alt Weekly in Athens, Georgia, uh, flagpole, which is a great Alt Weekly. Is it that, that that's not a, a university magazine Mm-mm. then? It's no, a it's it's like it's it's like the creative loafing of Athens, Georgia. So in college, you started part time when you wanted to writing for yeah um, on a freelance basis, a real paper. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was um, I wrote a story, the first story that I ever really got published. Um, was a story about this group of professors and kind of retired guys living in the Athens area who um, raced pigeons. And they would, they all had pigeon coops and they would go out to the middle of nowhere and release pigeons and the pigeons would would find their way home. Um, and it's... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. 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 And um, it's what these guys do. And it's like the most unexciting sport to watch because you basically open up a box pigeons fly the guys go home and just sit in their houses and wait for the pigeons to come and they call each other my pigeons are here yeah it's like back and back then i don't know if i don't know if the sport has changed but it was it was all kind of i remember them saying it was all honor based you know like my pigeon arrived arrived at 414 it's like okay we trust you we trust you yeah and uh and that ended up um that got in a flagpole and it it ended up uh, winning a, a or placing in a national award and um, uh, an award contest, and um, I just kept on writing and kept on writing and kept on writing. When I graduated, um, uh, worked at a weekly newspaper in North Fulton, Alpharetta, which was a great experience, but it was an, an experience, you know, because you cover garden clubs and beekeepers and. Yeah, you kind of. I wrote a story about how how meth was kind of taking over the city, and I don't think the publisher was too proud. No. <laughs> I, I compared it to a dark cloud sweeping over North Fulton. <laughs> you see, Thomas, our market is little old ladies. Yeah, we're and we're you, you gotta you gotta realize, Thomas, we're throwing this newspaper on their yard without them on their driveway without them asking. Right. We're and um, so and after that, moved to New York. Um, Lived in New York for two years. So. Yeah, so then you got to live in a real city. Yeah. Which is, and I, I don't, that sounds, might be impassionizing, but when you live in a, a, a city which has the density and the building types and the transit infrastructure, it doesn't feel foreign to you. And you actually begin to see, like, God, I mean, I, I lived in Paris for a year, and you're mm-hmm. like, I'm no longer driving, and there's a huge stress off of me that I never realized. Yeah, yeah. And I'm reading a crap ton of books. One of the one of the biggest stressors in my life. This is so strange. Is is the is the actual process of getting in and out of a car. I mean, dr- <laughs> driving driving's a pain, but I I truly truly hate 
getting into and then getting out of a car. For me, that's just it's just a, it's such a wasted motion. Um, yeah, I mean, li- living in New York was a lot of fun. I I, I went to New York a lot because my both of my parents are from there. Most of my family, if not all. Oh, um, so you probably visited some as a child. Yeah, we so visited all the time. You were hip to and ins and outs. Like Times Times Square before it got Disneyfied. Uh, like you know, getting off the bus at the Port Authority and and um, so it, it was it was a lot of fun to live there, but tough tough city tough city to live in i don't i don't know if i could live in it it's an ex- i have friends that live there it's it's a, it new york i think that the one reason why people are turned off by cities you open the door and a new york's like this here let's go let's go let's go and you're like oh and you look down the avenues and it's just it's just a canyon yeah <laughs> stretching forever but i was wondering why i love chicago if you go there it's mm-hmm. like it's a real city too, but it's got this big Midwestern vibe. At least on the north side, you're like, oh, everybody's really Midwestern weird friendly, and it's it's laid back. Like New York's intensity isn't necessarily born out of its urbanness; it's just born out of its New Yorkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, and and you know, Atlanta's Atlanta's a, a, a real city, but it hasn't reached that point yet where it's connected enough, and it's and you have enough people just stacked on top of each other to make things go every second of the day yeah yeah um it's still i think very much kind of downtown is still um it's got a it's got a strong residential base and you know more and more people are moving here yeah but it i i think that it really did get affected by that whole um you know the migration of of people out to the suburbs at at 5 p.m it's it's afflicted by the concentration of government down here i mean it creates a oh, downtown yeah there, there yeah. are too many there are a lot of institutional owners down here between fulton county city of atlanta georgia's the georgia state government emory and uh, emory um the big hospital grady and georgia yeah. state there's they squeeze out all the diversity you need to make it be a 24 hour and come 5 p.m i mean you know our the office that we're sitting in right right now is Part of downtown Atlanta, yeah, right um, the Fulton Government Center. And come 5 p.m., the lines to get on the 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 bus to Gwinnett and and Cobb are long. So you don't have those people sticking around. Yeah, Atlanta is a young city; it's still developing, and that's one thing that's interesting to be here in either of our industries. Is New York is what New York is, as great as it is, and mm-hmm. you can do things there. But are you going to change it? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Atlanta is still developing. And that's why I really love um, covering covering Atlanta yeah. and uh, especially covering transportation and urban development. Um, in a city like New York with transportation, you're writing a lot about delays in the Second Avenue subway line. Um, you're writing a lot about it's it's you'll have it more now, I guess a little bit, but you're not writing about these kind of life-changing city-changing projects in and and developments right it, to the extent that you are in atlanta i mean it's it's really exciting writing about the streetcar because we haven't had anything like that in a long long time and we don't know what it's going to be like no we really and we think it's going to be successful if implemented right but we really don't know we really won't know you have no way no yeah i mean it's it's I, I, I and the Beltline is you know it's fun to write about because 
it's not really happening anywhere else. I mean, so and you're seeing a total change in thinking about Atlanta. You're seeing a, a, a new pulse to the city. Yeah. It's moving very quickly. Yeah. Well, the Bell Line is interesting, too, um, because Atlanta always projects, itse- projects itself as an international city, but it's really a large provincial capital. And the attitude has always been, let's get an expert from out of town to come here. We're not going to listen to the people here because they're podunks or else they wouldn't be here. Yeah. Or also, <laughs> somebody has an idea. Oh, I mean, it's true. Like the High Museum, when they did an expansion, they hired Richard Meyer. And maybe in the 80s, yeah. well, there were some great architects. There, there weren't any great I- ideas. And the other thing is, if you're pitching an idea, that Atlanta comes back with, like, well, where else are they doing this in the world? You're like, are you going to be a leader or not? And that's changing. It's getting more confident, I think. Do you, do you, do you see some of the institutions, though, looking inward to the talent that's in the city now? Um, or do you still see it like, if we're going to make a splash, we need to pull somebody in from... You know, Calatrava. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what's what I have seen. I guess we can we uh, we'll make a switch and start talking about what I said we'd be talking about. No, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, but I I've seen certain parts of it. Well, I guess it's like everything. It, it changes and shifts. Some places I've started to see more work for local architects getting hmm. bigger projects. Hmm. Um, but still, some of the more traditional building types still get the treatment of like we got to get somebody from out of town that can, can do this oh really so you think well like the falcon stadium yeah let's go get a stadium guy that does stadiums we're gonna hire somebody from kansas city or los angeles yeah um but at the same time one museum place is by scoggin max scoggin and Merrill elam okay. who are fantastic architects and they are every bit as good and innovative as frank Gehry. And they're probably, if he's one, they're kind of a, in that 1B class. They're uh-huh. amazing architects. But ever since they did a couple of libraries down in Clayton County and the Buckhead Library, they've done nothing in Atlanta. Oh, wow. They're like, like with many things in Atlanta, they're better known outside of Atlanta, more respected outside of Atlanta. But they've done th- that project, and they did an office tower project in Buckhead. So they're now doing more work in Atlanta, which I think is fantastic. That's awesome. So anyway, let's move on. We'll talk about what happened last year and what's going on next year. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Well, have you put, I mean, I kind of asked you to do this, so I try to put in some thought more than that, but have you put any thought into what your thoughts of 2014 were? 2014 was a really, really big blur. Um, and I, I, I say that because it felt like we were seeing something be announced uh, every week. It was like we kept waiting for the economy to change, and then the dam broke, and you, like, you're right. Like stuff and, just hard to come. And 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 the the way that I I looked at a lot of it is like these, um, a lot of these developers who you heard about before the downturn, um, and who were, you know, present in the city and doing projects. Jeff Fuqua, one of them. It's like they they awoke like sleeping dragons and were just you know, just just breathing money all over the place. <laughs> no, it's, it is. It's shocking how much like. And we'll look, we'll talk about 2015. Like, they all, where did this group get all this money to do this? Yeah. Like, that must have been in the works for two or three years, or I don't know, financing. I don't, I, so. I, I have no clue. I don't know if, I don't, I don't know where the money came from, but mm-hmm. the money is out there, um, and it's, it's being spent, and it's being spent a lot in Northeast Atlanta. And yeah. the, the, deve- the development boom that has been taking, acro- taking place in, Old Fourth Ward and uh, and and Inman Park and neighborhoods surrounding 
you know, the Atlanta Beltline East Side Trail, that that development was already happening. The Beltline sped it up. Right, exactly. Um, but it's just been astounding to watch. And you go over there and you wonder, are they just going to, are they going to keep building all the way to Boulevard and, and, and the interstate? Or is it going to kind of trickle clockwise along the Beltline? Where is it going to happen? Is it, are they just going to start tearing down and building on top? Um, and yeah, yeah. Are they going to start packing more and more into the same area? Or are they going to stretch? Yeah. yeah. I mean, is it going to be more spread out or what? Um, that, that's been really incredible to watch. Um, also, the... Uh, a lot of the designs have been disappointing to see. And, yeah, yeah. And um, so how will that change in the coming year? I don't know. Beltline has some plans, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. The, the, the disappointing design, I think, is, is indicative of a problem with Atlanta, where it is it competes on uh, almost a, um, with other cities, almost as on a on a price basis it's mm-hmm. it's a middle class city where you you're in Atlanta because you're either serving people are here or you are outsourced middle management from New York or Chicago or you are the regional office for somebody in New York or Chicago or you do business in New York Chicago and Miami and you want to be somewhere in the mi- middle there easy access to the easy airport. access so there's a little bit of a middle class idea it's like we want good stuff but we don't want to pay too much for it mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily have to pay for more that kind of begins to drive an attitude that, like, really nice design is kind of superfluous. And Atlanta's getting to a point where it's mass is getting to a point where you can no longer compete on price. You have to start competing on quality, I think. Yeah. But I've that's still the mentality that people have. We're going to build these six-story stick frame. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you look around um, historic Fourth Ward Park, it's kind of, when you're elevated, it just kind of looks like little blocks. Yeah. Like, and I, w- I want to see life happening on the streets in between those blocks. You know, I want to see movement. That, and that might not really happen because they're mostly residential. That um, goes, yeah, and that goes back to something we were talking about beforehand. It's the financial market is not really set up to support multi-use, which means your developer has to be creative in how they get the money. And yeah. they have to take a risk on a model they're not sure of. Yeah, and w- what, I'm, what I'm wondering is when will the lenders uh and it's like we were talking about you know a a little while ago like there there are when you say like oh that's a terrible design um you ask the developer why you know you know why go with this design but it's when there's so many other things involved there's you know Somebody's working on your computer behind you. A ghost. Sorry. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's our that's our office ghost. Just just pay pay no attention to the ghost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just taking no, it's, notes. It's, it's linked to somebody else's computer. Yeah. Um. It's it's not just the developer. It's also the lender. It's the zoning. It's it's all these things that go into making right you know, subpar design. Um, right. So when when is that intervention going to happen? When is the, when is when will the bank say, okay, we're, we're finding that you don't need to have X number of parking spaces for this to work, or you don't right. need to have this? Well, there's also the problem of risk assessment. Most people, like, we need risk assessment. They don't actually don't care how risky it is. They want to just know if they can assess the risk. Mm-hmm. And, and a true leader isn't worried about assessing the risk because they're out in front of the model. And so, but there are a lot of people who project themselves as leaders who really aren't 
we're really doing very conservative business things, and there needs to be some projects that take that on. Yeah. And so you need you need longer term money that's going to be that isn't worried about turning it over in five years. You need people who can manipulate the zoning codes and the bankers to show it'll work. So. You think Pont City Market's a kind of an example of of that? Those guys do great work, actually. They're we we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but the quality of their d- design, I think they were, uh, they've been major uh, proponents for better design in general. Yeah. Because they kind of, they're not, they're not jokesters. I think those guys really know how to do it. I've never worked with them, but just seeing the product they put out there. Yeah. So I've been impressed with what I've seen. I went to Chelsea Market when I lived in New York, and I didn't know who Jamestown was, but you walk in and you're like, I like this place. We found Chelsea Market by accident. We went to go to look at um, the High Line, and it started mm-hmm. raining, and there was a door that we just ducked in, and suddenly we were in Chelsea Market, <laughs> which is the most amazing thing about cities, is that it's volumetric. It's not just planar. It's not just a two-dimensional. You can just open a door. Yep. And uh, there's a, there was a great place in Paris when I lived there where it looked like an apartment door, but you open it up, and the building was only like a foot deep, and it was an old Roman amphitheater behind it. Oh, it was awesome. just like surreal. That's cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, other other things that happened in, in 2014. Um, well, let's. Uh, you brought up the market, um, Pont City Market, which I think yeah. is great and a kind of a sign of quality development. And there have been some other markets that have opened that have been similar but really different. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Croc Street Market. Croc Street Market, which is I think is an example of a group striving for the quality over there, but it's not, it doesn't quite come together. The quality control isn't quite, quite right. Hmm. I, I have yet to step foot in Croc Street Market. I really, really want to sometime very soon. (laughs) It's going to work. It's a great concept. Uh, The rest of the market concept I've seen in DC and other cities where it's kind of a high end food court concept. And Mm because it's feeding off the belt line, it missed, it feels like a public space you flow into. That's cool. But I don't think the, the quality of design in pieces and some of the individual stores are there, but the overall commitment and understanding of how design is put together is not there mm-hmm. like what it is in, in Pont City Market. How many, of, how many of those do you think that we can support as a city? Pont City Market or Crog Streets? Yeah. I think what we need more of is, and I, I talked about this with, um, never mind, is those things are great and those things are fun and and i can't remember who it was actually i think it was nate conable who was a former transit planner yeah who recently moved to the west coast and we were at his going away party and he said so is this why we're doing the belt line like yuppies buying uh (laughs) handmade tacos like i mean it's for 20 bucks for 20 bucks i mean it's fantastic it's great it's really cool but I think what we really need more of in the city is a kind of a, a dirty urbanism where it's it's about CVSs, it's about grocery stores, it's about being able to live without having a car. Yeah. So those things are great and they're cool. It's that infill development. We were talking about the, the apartments too. Mm-hmm. And how do you make quality infill development? It's not going to be necessarily um, hype, get into design magazines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's apartments and housing and stores and stuff like that well and that's i mean one of one of the another one of the big stories for me in 2014 the groundbreaking of the west side trail yeah for the belt line 
And that's also going to be a huge story to watch next year, following year, and all the years following. Yeah. Um, To me, and that touches on exactly what you're just saying in terms of, I I live two blocks from the West Side Trail. I live in Westview, uh, my wife and I do. And it's, it's the question of when are we going to see some of those, those, you know, developments? I mean, we're very lucky because we have a Kroger that's a five-minute walk away on Cascade Road. Right, right. Um, but you've got a lot of empty storefronts, and you've got, a lot of, you've got a lot of opportunities down there, but you also have a lot of need. That area is going to be – it's not going to have the same kind of success as the East Side Trail. It's going to be mm. measured differently because it is – economically vastly different it's very very poor you've got houses that are worth twenty thirty forty thousand dollars down there. yeah and it's also a different structure this was very the west east side was very semi-urban you had big buildings like Ponce city market the ford factory lofts you had um or things where the midtown arts cinema is which is kind of minimizing a suburban plan it's very suburban over there so between the economic difference which creates a, a huge social difference and, and um, the social tradition based in Atlanta, why poor black people are living over there. And, and the physical structure, it's gonna have a very different effect on that, that environment. Yeah, and I mean, the, and the, the, the schools need a lot of help. So if you don't have good schools, you're not going to have families moving in there. Right. Um, you need a diverse, I mean, one of the biggest things that needs to happen is people just need to fill up the empty homes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, um, and so it's 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 going to be really fascinating to watch. It's the biggest investment that part of town has seen above the ground since Marta, I guess. Yeah, that's probably true. And it's it's we're really going to see what what impact does a multi million dollar trail in Lanier Park have on a just economically distressed area, and it can that just. Can it be just that alone? I don't think so. Yeah, and then and the Beltline has other programs associated with, such as affordable housing. But mm-hmm. the big move is that infrastructure move, and especially when the West Side Trail is done, it won't be connected. The other big part of the Beltline is networking. Mm-hmm. But it really will be a test to see this idea of transformative infrastructure and how it will or won't transform. I mean, if there's latent energy like on the East Side, it's the it can be a real multiplier. Yeah. What's 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 really fascinating for for me is that I'm hearing about people who are like already looking at at properties down there. I mean, cuz yeah. there's still a good number left. I mean, like it's a great part of town. Like it's historic, the homes are great, the people are cool. I mean, our neighbors in our neighborhood are are incredible mm-hmm. and it's so I'm eager to see what you know, it it's a great great place to be. I'm eager to see what concepts are, are, are tried because there's some really interesting names looking at some of the properties. Yeah. And there's smart and savvy people, but I'm wondering if they understand, you know, um, that, that, you know, parts of Southwest Atlanta are not, you know, they're, they're not at the point of Northwest Atlanta, or I mean, Northeast Atlanta just yet. Right. You know, so it's like, do you immediately jump to you know like artisanal cheeses can yeah artisanal cheeses and and a fromagerie yeah yeah i mean so that and and that's what i think is just going to be really cool to watch there's a great art scene down there mm-hmm. a lot of young people so diverse well the traditional model too has been 
big chunks of an investment to turn things over quickly. Yeah. And the problem with that is it displaces people. So you're not actually improving neighborhoods, you're moving neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. And I know and I, I know everybody involved is in the very conscious interest of this. So it'd be interesting to see how they work to help the community stay invested. I mean there are a lot of homeowners down there who will who have in the past and other neighbors lost their home when the value of their property has quadrupled in a year. Yeah. So you you think, oh great, their houses are going up, they're gonna re- they're gonna get money back on that, but they can't afford to pay the taxes long enough to see that investment return. Right. So there's there are problems like that that people are working on that need to be solved. Yeah. Yeah. Which will be I, I, I mean it's as a as a journalist, those are some of the most interesting stories to follow. Yeah, yeah. Well and moving from that kind of urbanism mm-hmm. of like we need basic infrastructure facilities there's the the buckhead development has returned in buckhead this last year buckhead atlanta buckhead atlanta which used to be streets of buckhead which seems to be this idea that urbanism is such a scary thing the only way we could sell it is if we actually say it's a new rodeo drive (laughs) which is kind of so it's it was an idea that was kind of passe eight years ago when it went bankrupt yeah or not bankrupt whatever happened it stopped because of the recession and now it really looks kind of out of touch with the idea of urbanism, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, I've, I I went there for the groundbreaking. I dropped a buddy off there. Um, the stores are kind of out of my reach, <laughs> yeah, financially. And and, and uh, neither one of us probably make a lot of money. But if you were to com- put us on a scale with the average American, yeah, we're probably as a household <laughs> crushing that. Yeah, I uh, yeah, Buckhead Atlanta. I don't spend a lot of time there, but the um, it's. And unfortunately, it's like it's like the the measuring stick is is it better than what was once there? And I don't know. It used to be a vibrant nightlife spot. It used to be like it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't exactly pretty. I mean, it was yeah. a bunch of of go out and get really drunk bars. Yeah. But there's also a lot of small property owners, which means you could see really cool, quirky things come in, like you have in. It's a cool mix little five points, although a lot of that property is owned by the same person, but you have something like the Porter come in, mm-hmm. which is never going to happen in that kind of development. You no. never have that vitality, which we uh, talk about urbanism, about lots of people doing lots of things and feeding off of each other. That's it's, not going to happen. It's the continuation of the mega project yeah. in Atlanta, and it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a really awkward phase, and I, I, I hope it's a phase. I mean, but pr- it probably isn't. But it's it's been this ongoing, um, you know, it's 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 the idea that the the way to make something work is to get a, a twenty acre property, consolidate a bunch of properties, Consol- consolidate it, boom, one architect or you know like one vision, one identity, hit, quit it, go, right. and it's 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 really kind of uh, it's screwing up the city in a lot of ways. And it's been screwing up cities ever since urban renewal in the 60s. Yeah. Just buy up all these houses and put a baseball stadium and field there, which we can then transition to other developments. We were <laughs> going to talk a little bit about Avalon, which we can talk about, but there's stadium news, obviously. There's the Falcon Stadium who decided they're going to stay downtown, but have built a suburban model downtown. Yeah. And there's the Braves who have moved out of town who are trying to build an urban model but not really because of that thing you were just talking about. They want to control the whole thing. Yep. It's going to be one thing, and it won't have that vitality. And so. judging from the contract that they, or the pitch that the Braves put in front of the city um, before they, they walked away from Turner Field, they'll probably want to control a lot of the 
you know, the branding. The, the Braves even wanted control of who was, what advertisements were going to be in, like, the little mixed-use kind of area, village development yeah. across the street from Turner Field, um, which is not it's, – it's that top-down kind of yeah. planning. It's a downtown well, – they're, they're creating Main Street Disney is what they wanted. Yeah. And I, I, my thoughts on why the Braves moved to Cobb County was, one, they got $300 million, whatever the Braves say about connectivity – and two, they wanted control of development around the property in that way that's not necessarily in the best interest of the city. Yeah. And, and the, I think the city did get caught off guard by how serious the Braves were. But the city, in a lot of ways, was moving forward on these things. I know they had an RFP out for developers to develop the property. Yeah. But the problem was really those two things. The Braves wanted control. And they got more than $300 million from Cobb County. Yeah. They got a, they got a pretty sweet deal from Cobb. Yeah. Um, for them. And I, but I also think that, you know, it's funny. Like it's like Main Street Disney. It's whenever I look at the the renderings of the of the new Brave Stadium, I'm always reminded of like you know when you walk into Six Flags. Yeah. And it's like somebody takes your photo without asking, and it's like to your left is like a Looney Tunes shop. Yeah. To your right is you know, some other Warner Brothers property shop. Yeah. And. That's that's what I always imagine it's going to be like. Well, I've got a I've got a, a picture of the rendering in front of me here, which has got you can kind of clearly see there's a a drag right down the middle of it. Yeah. And then there's a back of house, so it is just like walking down Main Street Disney. Yeah. Where they're going to have you have what looks like a main street as long as you don't get off of it, but the back of it's going to be all loading docks and stuff. So there's no idea of connecting to a continuous urban fabric and allowing other cool things to develop around there that people might come down and spend some time at the Brave Stadium and they might go across the street to a restaurant that's not owned by them and the Braves would get more money yeah a, a bigger uh, a less of a slice out of a bigger pie and they said no we want to have the whole pie but we'll keep it as small as we can and who wants to live there yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I'm, I just I don't know it's like I I just eh. yeah so anyway so that's it's kind of it's an interesting way about how Atlanta does business and how those those northern counties do business. They've been very developer friendly, mm-hmm. and you probably know better than I, but as I recall, Ray systematically met with councilmen in numbers that prevented any prevented any minutes from being met. Yeah. So they and and it didn't constitute a quorum or quorum. Or Gwinnett or County trigger open meetings. Yeah, that kind of thing happened in Gwinnett County all the time with infrastructure projects. So there's there's often this image that Atlanta is the big corrupt thing, mm-hmm. and that these suburbs are pure libertarian ideals. Oh no, it's it's man, that and 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 that is a, that is an entirely different conversation, but it's all the same. Yeah. It's all the same. It's Suburbs all the have same. spent spent decades demonizing in town Atlanta and its politics. Yeah. And it is the same thing up there. Yeah. And then there's a problem there with the idea of regionalism in Atlanta and having a weak regional power. Mhm. Cuz then something like this happens and, and you know, Friends of mine who live out there, who are politically aligned with the way people think out there, look at them and they're like, the traffic is already bad enough. Yeah. 81 days a year, that's going to destroy traffic in a way that a Brave Stadium downtown at the intersection of 75, 85, and 20, and uh, a 30-minute walk from a MARTA station never would. Yeah. And yeah. a complete street grid, so. And it's, and it's you know, my, um, my parents are moving from there, and I went up to, to the other night to check on their house. And it's 7 p.m. at night. It's it's terrible traffic. Yeah. So um, other things that happened, we actually had a bunch of um, cultural institutions come online this year, which mm-hmm. were really 
really exciting for a couple of reasons. We had um, the uh, National Center for His- Human Rights opened. Yeah, which is, uh, I, per- personally, I really love that place. It's It was really nice to see Atlanta get a, uh, you know, a museum mm-hmm. about something so important especially with all the ideas that were bandied about for centennial olympic park over the years yeah like a pirate museum and we had the national museum of patriotism which was like the propaganda museum which yeah was strange um but with this it's a i i like the building the original design i thought was was really ambitious right but you know in talking with some people involved with it by them having to scale back they were able to focus more on the interior yeah the exhibits are really powerful, and yeah. I like the idea of Atlanta. Atlanta's had a hard time embracing its civil rights message, and I think there should be a straight line from Boston to Philadelphia to D.C. to Atlanta for the history of hmm. American civil ri- American government developing. Yeah. But embracing civil rights means embracing that other people's ancestors were not good people. Yeah. Um, I was actually disappointed in the building uh-huh. because, to me, the civil rights movement was about talking about things in public that we weren't talking about. And the building's very coffin-like, sarcophagus-like. It holds something precious. And they use the, the architect uses the metaphor of hands. And I feel like, no, it needs to project itself into the public in a way that it, it doesn't. And, and in a way that the um, Football Hall of Fame, as trivial as that one is, and the, the, the Civil Rights Museum is kind of a weird fit in that museum role where you're between the aquarium and Coca-Cola. Yeah. But the Football Museum actually is really great at embracing the the, the public realm. It's got the Chick-fil-A, which is open at other hours. Yeah. You can, s- transparency, you can see in. You can see, yeah, you can see, uh, you yeah. can see the inside. No, those are, those are, those are great points. I was, it, it's, it's a shame that they couldn't. Right. Build, you know, build it out. With right. what they did, though, I mean, like, I, I enjoyed it. The, the interior, I just, I felt, it, it felt to me very compact. As a visitor, I enjoyed it. Because inside it, is fantastic, yeah. and the exhibits are just—I love their wall of fame, which is like, because people forget how racist people were, and you're like, oh, there's Lester Maddox, he was a real character. Yeah, you're like he and chased people out of his store with a gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not that's not good. That's not that's not character. And he was in a position of power. Yeah, put there by the people. Right, right. So, 2015, a lot of things happened. Tons big, of stuff happening. Big, 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 big <laughs> things. I think I think the major trend we talked about at the beginning was just um, the way everything seemed to break free after years of of kind of stagnating, including even the Beltline, which is going to be moving, which broke broke ground on the West Side Trail, and we'll be doing the East Side Extension. Yeah. Um, and that, that that links us into 2015, and um, looks like another big year. Just, uh, I don't know. If you, what are your thoughts on that? One of the things, and this is this is very um, this is this is very geeky, but the um, oh good, that's the best. <laughs> the um, the AIA annual meeting in March yeah will be a lot of. I I think that'll be really exciting to cover, especially because you know some 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 talks are happening about some really cool kind of forums about design. Um, Someone, I think someone said Bill Clinton was going was gonna to be Bill there. Bill Clinton is going to be the keynote speaker. Yeah, um, which is, you know, it's, it's always kind of fun to see him speak in person. 
Um, yeah. And uh, I'm interested in hearing what he what he has to say about you know architecture. Um, yeah. And uh, but you know the the downside to it is that it's not something that like someone from the public can just kind of waltz into at the AIA. Um, but there's a lot of things that they're, that's going to be discussed that a lot of people would really love to hear about. Um, so, yeah, no, it's the um, yeah, it's a, it's a professional organization, and they're all coming here to Atlanta to see what Atlanta's been doing. And so, what do you really excited. what do you think their response is going to be to to what's been done? Like, what do you think? Uh, last time I think James Howard Kunstler was in town, he was he was pretty brutal, as he is to every city. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think Atlanta always surprises people because it changes so fast. Yeah. I, I think for people who haven't been here a long time, they're going to be surprised at how urban Midtown and Downtown have become. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, and I've, I've worked with some groups on this at the Architecture and Design Center, so they're working on some, the usual stuff, tours and dining and design programs and things like that. Um, Is there going to be a designing and uh, dining and design yeah. during that time? Yeah, we, well... Um, Working with the Architecture and Design Center and AIA have started a program together. They did, they've done a couple as a test, but there's going to be a Beltline tour that Ryan's going to be part of, and they're going to stop at, I think, Lady Bird and Rathman Stake, or at least they did that in the test run. I forget awesome. exactly. Um, and they're going to have an event at the Polaris, which is reopening, which is really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, Atlanta is a, has a tendency not to toot its own horn to kind of think of itself as not being a center, although wanting to talk like it is. Mm-hmm. I, so I expect people to be surprised by what's happening in Atlanta. Um, and everybody's going to want to see the Beltline, because that's the one thing that's totally unique. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, <coughs> that's, that's just been discussed and discussed and discussed. Yeah. I think that um, seeing some of these buildings that have been proposed in Midtown, actually, if they get rolling in 2015, um, will be... Like, like, boom. Yeah, that's uh, that's the bucket. That's the Scog and, uh, Max Scog and Mero Elam office building, and it's and and th- really cool looking. And that, and uh, I think Perkins Will also is working on a project in Midtown um, for Integral. Um, it's a high rise. I want to yes. say, or at least I saw renderings of it. And for for that to move forward. I mean, Midtown, at the rate that Midtown is being developed, it's going to be gobbled up, you know? It has been a huge boom, kind of mid-rise, which is like over six stories to 20, I think, is the number. Mixed-use development Mm -hmm. is just, that's launched in Midtown, and it's become a standard form of development there. Yeah, Yeah. and it's it's great to see. Yeah. Um, What MARTA is doing with transit-oriented development in 2015 is going to be really cool to watch. Yeah. They've been trying to do that for years to take the parking lots around. The original MARTA model was you'll drive to a station, then you'll get on a train and take it in. Right. And that doesn't really work in Atlanta because driving is convenient enough. It works if you're Connecticut and it's a two-hour drive to New York. Yeah. So they got all these lots not producing anything, like the King lot. They're going to put buildings on them, and they've finally restructured themselves so they can get revenue out of that because MARTA's original charter is totally screwed up. Right. And, yeah, yeah, (coughs) and with this way, you know, they'll they'll get lease revenue, and they'll get a boost in ridership, hopefully. Right. And actually, the cost for doing this, David Green at Perkins & Wells talked about it, is actually really low compared to highway development costs. Wow. He's, well, I, I can't remember the exact number, but he, uh-huh. he had a number that was basically to develop a bunch of sites with equal to the 14th Street expansion that just happened. That's cool. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a real bang-for-buck development, too. The, um, 
the discussion about air rights in Midtown, uh, you know, MARTA development. With air rights over the Midtown MARTA station or in general? Just, well, just, just in general. Um, and, you know, the, the different, uh, you know, the, the other transit-oriented development projects that are, that are being considered, it's, uh, I, I spoke with uh, Amanda at MARTA, who's in, in, in charge of the TOD, a little while back. She's new there, right? Yeah, she got there. I think she arrived like last year. I think she, you guys did a story on her. Yep. Yeah. She was one, she was one of our 20 people to watch. Yeah, it blasted around the internet. Her or at least our sector, but it was a parking <laughs> lot turning the building. And um and the t- the timing's kind of perfect for Marta right now. Yeah. Um the economy is improving, the development sector is improving. Um Atlanta's growing. Marta's taken some steps to kind of uh, get rid of some inefficiencies and, yeah. and and work on improving itself. It's finally getting some support from the state legislature, at least the legislature is paying attention to it. So um, what Amanda said was, you know, the stars have really aligned, and I, th- I think that's true. Um, so the question becomes, you know, what do they look like? How do they, how do they connect to the surrounding community, which it is one of the big questions that I think we'll probably be seeing you know as, as more and more time as time goes on with the new Falcon Stadium as well as connecting to the community yeah there's um all of us about connecting to the, the community um and it's uh, the Scoggin building we both looked at the picture and said that it's called uh, Max Scoggin Merrill Elam the architects and it's the Alliance Buckhead Tower if anybody wants to see what it looks like um one of the problems with the mixed-use developments, though, is the need to cut down on the size of blocks to make it more pedestrian-friendly, mm. which I'm sure Marta will, stru- will struggle with. Is developers don't like that because they like to create a contained unit that they have a controlled market identity. Yeah. But the city has also been kind of in a position of getting rid of costs by getting rid of streets, which is not good long-term. Yeah. Because fundamentally, as a city government, you're supposed to provide infrastructure like streets. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> they they want to get out of your the, job. Yeah, they want to get out of the job. Mm. And the air rights thing, I just want to touch on that for people who don't know. The traditional model of owning property is you own a square foot or whatever, and it projects all the way to the core of the earth and all the way out to the inner space. Mm-hmm. And laws have obviously changed since planes and stuff were invented, so it's not trespassing. But to a certain point, people want to build over your property. Yeah. You can sell that right. So they could cantilever or bridge or whatever. And, 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 and uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that. At um at Martyr, they said you know they were willing to look at to look at it. So yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be real cool to see um, if that conversation happens next year. Yeah, and I mean there's there's just so many you know it, Atlanta's a city where everybody talks about its potential. Like yeah. it's always Atlanta's got a lot of potential. Atlanta's got a lot of potential, and you know I get so tired of hearing that because like well when you have potential you need to do something with it and and it seems like. Uh, yeah, that's that's starting to happen. Potential is kind of a pat on the head and a kind of yeah, backhanded compliment. Like well, you're not actually <laughs> doing anything, but you could if yeah. you wanted to. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Um, so there's there's a ton to be excited about. The um, the uh, and also the city's um, sale of a lot of real estate uh, is opening up um, a lot of opportunities. Civic right. Center is a big question mark. The old Atlanta Constitution Building, which is a beautiful building. Um, it backs up to the Gulch, right? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. It backs up to the Gulch. That's a beautiful old building. And um, a huge amount of square footage too. And our uh, 
CL's photo editor, Joff Davis, and I, we got to, we got to take a tour of it before they, the contractors came in and cleaned it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to wear full body suits and respirators because of concerns about mold and lead. And um, so we were, we were burning up. Sweating, but, yeah. Uh, but the, um, and the inside of the building was a complete mess. I mean, it, it, it had turned into like a, um, a homeless village. Um, like the Biltmore was back in the early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <coughs> you know, toilets made out of, like, buckets and all this stuff, just trash as far as you can see. Um, there was this one weird room where you walk in, and it was, a, it was a complete mess, but then there was this one room where all of these black garbage bags were lined up, and the room had been partially cleaned up. And I asked some folks from the city, I said, who, who did this? And they're like, we don't know. <laughs> so I don't know if some people who were living there were cleaning it up so or what. But um, apparently, you know, it used to have its own. It, was, it really was a village, and it had, like, its own hierarchy and everything. But um, cities looking for a buyer for that. Well, that's interesting, A, because it's a property like the um, Pont City Market. It's a lot of square footage in a very cool industrial building in an area of town that actually is beginning to show some energy, like southwest downtown is beginning to see some artist energy and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, The other interesting thing is you, you, you brushed over was selling the Civic Center and Underground and divesting themselves of property, which is a big shift in government attitudes. In the 70s and 80s, governments a lot of times compounded the problem of, of middle-class flight by trying to build things to bring people there, and there wasn't a demand, so they're buying up properties and then those become these huge tax sucks and now that the change in philosophy has been let's put this back out in the market of course now there's a market to put it out to people actually are seeing value in, in coming downtown but those the the art center property is great because it could reduce kind of a institutional barrier between what's happening in old fourth ward and midtown Civic Center property. The Civic Center property. Yeah. And the underground property is a chance for somebody, especially some other properties around there, like the old World of Coke property, if they can pull them together, to get a big chunk of property where they could do a development and put in actual living space. The problem with downtown is nobody lives there, really. Or yeah. some people do, not a lot. And I was um, at, the, the, at the press conference where they announced the potential buyer of, of underground WRS of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really taken aback by what he was saying. And, uh, you know, oh, I've yeah? said this before. I mean, he was, I was expecting someone to say this is going to be another Atlantic station or this is going to be on par with Pont City Market and world's better. Right, right. And um, the the developer has, like, he's he's got big plans for it, but he was saying, you know, we want it to be a community rather than a destination. And from what he was proposing, um, it sounds like it's going to be a it's going to be massive in size yes right but, right it's a lot of property but he's saying it needs an anchor tenant so we want to put a grocery store in there we want to put residential above it we'll keep underground you know and we'll keep the name the mall yeah but it it sounded like a like a mixed-use development well, and that's and that's that's kind of a kyle kessler downtown resident and i were talking oh yeah kyle he, um it's, it doesn't sound like a big idea, but it is kind of a big idea. You know, he's coming in and not saying, I'm going to, I'm going to um, out Atlantic Station, Atlantic Station. Yeah. You know? Atlanta has a tendency to be all flash, no dash. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's radical, though it doesn't feel that way, to be 
to have, I don't want to say a humbler goal, but have a more practical goal and realize that that's actually fundamentally better, which is really surprising to hear you say that. He's saying, we're not going to come in here and be name brand of last big giant development. Yeah. We're going to do something smart. Yeah. Or not, not that those other developments weren't smart, but. Yeah, but it's not, it, 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 I was, I was really, really mm-hmm. taken aback by that and, and, and kind of impressed. And, you know, well, they don't know how many stories it's going to be. They don't know how many units. We'll find out more about that. But you didn't get the, you know, I'm going to sell you on this. World-class retailers and how cool is this going to be? Yeah, it was, it was more looking at, like, what does is, what is downtown need? What's the mar- well, and part of it is, like, what's the market need? Because like, downtown is actually, as much as I say nobody lives there, there are people that live there. It's actually yeah. growing very nascent. Yeah. beginning to take off. Yeah. Um, and there's also talking about bigger things. There's a big um, vote out there for a, a bond for infrastructure coming mm-hmm. to the city, which is, I suppose, and you might have followed this more closely than I did, a bit of the city's response to the failure of T-SPLOS a few years ago. They've got like a billion dollars. Is it $100 million or a billion dollars? in billion dollar backlog. Backlog, and this will be $250 million. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> On infrastructure, just maintaining streets and what have you. Well, and it it started off as a conversation about are we going to, um, you know, an infrastructure bond to to, uh, repave roads and rebuild bridges to a conversation about, well, we're going to do that in addition to building natatoriums and rec centers and and improving, like, a police precinct. So it's... Uh, what's interesting is that last I saw that the bond package was, it's going to people people are going to vote on three separate issues. One is the roads. One is the facilities, like the right. rec centers, and auditoriums, and the and the third is um, ADA compliance. Okay. So it's almost like you can pick and choose in a way. Um, and, and ADA uh, is accessibility. Yeah, for, exactly. For for wheelchair for handicapped people, but it's not just wheelchairs; it's the blind. Yeah, and older buildings obviously haven't don't aren't up to that. Yeah, so it's a major liability for the city because ADA huge is enforced not by codes but by lawsuits. So they're just there are a bunch of buildings sitting out there, waiting for somebody in a wheelchair to try to get in and not be able to get the service, and be denied what's been called a right by the ADA Act. And yeah, having a lawsuit laid against them. And it's it's I mean it's a re- it's a really important issue. Yeah, um, and. You know, the question is, what what happens if if one part or all all of those don't pass? Apparently, there's a re- very strong support, but yeah. you know, it's a um, it is a response to the failure of Tees Blast um, in a, in a way. I mean, um, it's also you know time for this to happen again. Uh, yeah. There's also debate about is it is it good policy? You know, taking out basically a credit card to um, to, to to pay for these fixes when, you know, we really need an ongoing maintenance fund for a lot of our infrastructure in this town. Well, we need some budgets too, and a lot of the city departments kind of operate without budgets, and that's that's a problem. Both in terms of doing the job, but they also become sources of corruption and, and graft. <laughs> I mean, what's that? I know. I mean, um, I won't name any names. But I've worked with some departments, and you're like, so a whole truck just disappeared last night. Well, Department of Watershed Management has, has lost a backhoe. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is hard to lose. Yeah. I've tried it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Somebody had to pull up in a truck and drive away with that. Hey, there. Listen, listen. We don't know nothing. We don't know nothing. So there's there also some others. This is a great Band-Aid thing, and it's a thing that the city does a lot, yeah. and it needs to be done, but sometimes we need to look deeper at some structural problems in the city government and, and in our culture, how we think about government and its role yeah. to address that. And then, you know, on top of that, there's the possibility that, um, and we said this a few years ago when lawmakers approved the T-SPLOST ballot question, but mm-hmm. there's the chance that we will see... Um, uh, transportation funding coming in some form from the, the legislature. Uh, they're looking the at state. <laughs> yes, right. The that's state. right. They're talking about some heavy rail and yeah. I mean, like and, and road it's, bills and stuff. And it's so. It's like first they have to decide on. <coughs> excuse me. They have to decide on. Okay, how are we going to fund um, what a stu- special study committee that worked um, over over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, to look at different funding options, what is what is the best funding option for the state to raise at least a billion and a half dollars to maintain yeah. what we yeah. have? And if you want to expand, it's going to be even more. So there's talking about raising the gas tax, um, maybe a statewide sales tax. Yeah, oh, raising the ga- the gas tax, which hasn't been raised in like since the seventies. Since maybe? the seventies. So there's. And there's a whole other thing when we talk about these different urbanism and suburbanism models, and maybe we'll go really broad before wrapping up, where suburbia is actually the most heavily subsidized form of inhabitation ever. Yeah. Like, the history of the world has been, you go out, there's a wood, you clear it, you make a farm, other people make farms, one of those farmers begins selling goods to the farms, and then that becomes a city, or becomes, it looks like a suburban building, and then it gets denser and denser and denser. What happens with suburbia is we use zoning codes and basically social engineering to freeze development at a certain density and thank you for saying it's social engineering it is social I, engineering. i got into this with somebody um earlier this week is that one of the arguments against building transit right is that it's it's a form of social engineering or like building transit where there is no development right they, it happens all the time with roads well, yeah, and then All we, the time. We subsidize that through federal tax dollars and home income mortgage deduction rates to make it affordable. And really, when we talk about urbanism, we're talking about removing that and opening up options for the, in many ways, for the free market. Yeah. You can still build a single-family house, but now you can build a high-density apartment if you want. Yep. As long as people aren't going to burn to death in it so it's fireproof and... Yeah. All those others. I mean, there's still right room for regulation. Um, the little things. The little things. <laughs> Make sure. <laughs> so people don't die of hot weather, which happened before building codes. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so it's, it's going to be a really exciting year. Yeah. There's, there's the question of when does this real estate cycle end? What's it going to look like, too? I think a lot of people are talking about it. I can't wait till it gets back to normal. And after a recession you have like that, it's not going back to what it was. It's going to be different. If you look yeah. at look at America before the Great Recession, which was poor 18th century in-town neighborhoods or 19th century and farmers. That's not what we had on the other end. It's going to be a completely different structure coming out of it. Yeah. So what's it going to look like? Um, and then we got a couple of in, uh, cultural things I guess to look forward to, new buildings. Yeah. Uh, the um Atlanta History Center, Cyclorama's going bye-bye from Grand Park. Yeah. Um, Atlanta History Center is just like, it's 
it's just one of these cool places in town. It's like one of the it's one of these spots. Like if you put me in it, I'm not gonna leave. It's it's very Atlanta too, in that you you expect it to be downtown. And it's in a weird location. Like yeah, Atlanta it's in has Buckhead. kind of divorce of <laughs> purpose to where it should be. Yeah. So it's it's in Buckhead and. The entrance is kind of around the corner off the street you think it is. Mm-hmm. But there's some amazing, amazing information and things in there. And the Swan House is fantastic, though, too. Yep. The uh, the Center for Puppetry Arts, this is actually the first time I've seen this rendering. And that's that, that's going to be that's gonna be crazy to see. It's bigger than I thought. And I don't know if they're building the whole thing. From that rendering from the architect's website, mm-hmm. um, it looks like they're building an L shape around it that's going to follow back along. Uh, 17th there, not just in front of uh, Spring Street. Is that Spring Street there? Yeah. Yeah. But they may be just building in phases. But it's very kind of um, cool and metal. Reminds me of the Herzog and Demeron Museum in uh, San Francisco. Mm. The um, uh, the work <coughs> Reynolds Town Stage that's going on going in along the um, the extension of the Atlanta Beltline Eastside Trail. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be another. Uh, a fun thing to cover seeing I, I, I'm, I'm really wondering how DeKalb Avenue and, and the Krog Tunnel and connecting the East Side Trail to that part of the Beltline right what what that's going to feel like and look like because it's going to be very different than what the East Side Trail is because they, they because of the I think it's the, the rail yard there I forget the name of it mm-hmm they're going to have to move along public right-of-way streets and tunnels. So it's going to have a very different feel. Yeah. And I think you're going to see the kind of, out of that emerging, what the Beltline is. It's a series of strategies to connect people together. It's not a thing. They're kind of building a, they're kind of building a public right-of-way, a street, but mm-hmm. the mechanisms they have to use and the names are so very convoluted because we've gotten so far away from that fundamental city planning. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's work by Tristan Al Haddad, who was a, a classmate of mine, who's been very oh, really? interested in uh, um, try, try parametric modeling, making making hill-like shapes basically, as opposed to just curves in one direction. So it, Tristan's been hustling that for a while. It's cool, and I I remember hearing. I don't know where the talks are now, but I remember that right around this area, Department of Watershed Management owns a like a water. Tanker. It's a hill right, right up there behind Homegrown. And that's going to become, um, I think they're going to try to make that available in some way as kind of like a park. Yeah, I've heard so you'll, so you'll get like views of the city from up there. Yeah, which would be great. I mean, that that that'd be that'd be awesome for that neighborhood. Reynolds Reynolds Town is such a cool little neighborhood. Yeah, it's 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 kind of uh, it's well, it's a trans. I won't say it's transitional, but it was very blue collar to begin with. So mm-hmm. you're getting a real good mix of people. Um, there's the um, there's the wonderful uh, the project um, the Peachtree Street bridges. Yep. Yeah, they're they're trying to get better at that, and they keep bumping up against um, DOT standards, which happen oh. to be like. So is this your standard? What if we did something else? No, that's just not <laughs> our standard. So they, they this is a, a new the Peachtree Street bridges from Midtown into Buckhead and or, or and from Midtown into Downtown are being redone, um, and and. We at the Architecture and Design Center are also working with Midtown Alliance and um, Central Atlanta Progress to do a bridgescaping design competition to try to, that will actually be turned into bridges like this, but try to drive more and more ideas. Mm-hmm. And particularly outside of the purchasing process of a public entity, mm-hmm. which really drives that price. 
and begins to really make it difficult to deliver innovation on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it delivers great price, though. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an incredibly effective tool at keeping costs down. Um, so this is going to be another move in the same way they did the 14th Street and 17th Street bridges. And uh, this work is, again, um, I think a movement in the right direction. It's getting to be a better quality of design on those bridges, but it's still a little bolt-on. Well, what, what, uh, what got me really um, excited about the project that ADC is working on is that there was a while back, and I think it's still in the works, Central Atlanta Progress and Midtown Alliance, I think, were work in working some with GDOT. We're working on a project of how do we make these bridges look better to motorists mm-hmm. who are passing through 7585 through Atlanta, right. and how do you how do you kind of beautify the downtown connector for people who are coming through the city? Because so many people experience the city only as pass through, right? Right. Is that and and you know they might not ever get off. They might live in Marietta and work at the airport. And yeah. they just they just cut through if they don't take two eighty five. But yeah. Um, so what I what I really like is that y'all are working on something about the people who actually use it who live in the city. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge or difference. not just live but work and live like and, and, yeah. and are actually, you know, on the city streets and not just looking at it as they pass by. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting too. We were talking talking about the bridges too, and I think we made a joke about Calatrava. I don't remember if it was before we started recording or not. But I was oh. watching the I was watching I was watching the Cowboys uh, Detroit Lions game, and they show downtown Detroit or downtown Dallas on television. And there's a big Calatrava bridge there. And we had a chance to have a Calatrava bridge. Uh-huh. And there's a value, there's a branding to that of having world class design, like the Sydney Opera House. It goes beyond the cost of spanning the bridge. It becomes about it's about beauty and it's about branding, but it's also about quality of life, mm-hmm. which is what we're talking about, which is, has a return that gets back to the point, I guess I was trying to make at the beginning, it's like Atlanta's competed on price for a long time as a commodity. Come here, we've got free square footage, or cheap square footage. Well, the more of that square footage you sell, the less you have of it, the less cheap it gets. The more you have to begin to compete on um, quality. And as much as that's kind of reductionist, if that's what moves people towards doing better design and caring more about their communities and how they're their work affects it. I think the better. Would you think that? Do you think that that has reached the levels of decision makers? You know, I don't think. It's, I don't think the decision makers are sensing it, but they're not. My impression is they're not exactly sure whether they should act on it yet or how they should act on it. Yeah, which kind of circles back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a couple more minutes here. Yeah. So 2015 creative loafing. What are you guys? What we made your wish list of things you'd like to see. <laughs> what uh, what made our wish list? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. I mean, there's, in a general way, and it was in there somewhere. Well, we were... I'm trying to remember. I mean, there was one, some... One thing that we said was that we we kind of... We kind of uh, pleaded with the development community and, you know, policymakers and city leaders that... Um, that we, we have a lot of buildings here that can withstand the test of time. They just need a little, they need a little love. Um, yeah. And that we could, we don't have to keep knocking things down. That's been said time and time again, but it's st- we still keep seeing it. You know, you can keep parts of buildings. You can keep the facade of a building. Um, you can incorporate that into your design. I'm not a, a big historic preservation guy because I'm an architect and I want to build, but... Mm-hmm. 
Atlanta is empty if you look at it from a skyscraper. There's a lot of space to be filled up mm-hmm. before you before you really get to removing buildings. Yeah, yeah. Now it's not always that 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 easy because you can get a deal on it. Somebody's eager yeah. to sell it. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like it, it it varies parcel by parcel, and you know, some of these buildings they can't stand. Right. But um, there was a save. You know, trio laundry building got saved in old fourth ward mm-hmm. building that probably everyone's seen at some point if you've been on edgewood but you don't know the history of it mm-hmm. and uh the city learned that history pretty pretty quickly what when was the history of it it was i mean it was an, it was like an old laundromat that was just you know it wasn't no you know they didn't invent you know tied detergent there or anything but it, there was a, there were stories there you know there was it was a part of the community right um Talk to Kyle Kessler; he'll give you the lowdown on that place. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, but it the the historic preservation community quickly mobilized and was able to mm-hmm. get Atlanta Housing Authority not only to not knock the building down, but to to fortify it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 one of the things you know that we're hoping for for 2015. I'm hoping that in my dream of dreams, we'll have transparent city government and good news and quality design and, and, and people moving in and contributing co- to communities. Yeah. I think we'll see a lot of strife. <laughs> There's a lot of strife. Change is hard. Yeah. The Atlanta Bike Coalition said once. Change is hard. But I think that's a good way to stop. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, man. Pleasure. And then all of a sudden you hear this. <laughs> Starts up. It's amazing how much you can block out when you're talking. Yeah. And then um, you go back and you listen you to it. You go back and you listen to it. You're like, what is that? Humming? Where is it coming from? <laughs> Fucking Darth Vader having a panic attack.